Uh, good morning again, everyone. We are so glad that you're here with us today. Welcome. Uh, Smyrna Campus, we love you guys. We're glad you're connected there. Everybody that's connecting with us online today, we're happy that you have found us there and can have that connection with us. I love that clip from the movie Christopher Robin. Of course, it's from the Winnie the Pooh series. And uh, Eeyore is all, has always been one of my favorite characters. And it's because I sometimes resemble that remark. Uh, I have this tendency to lean a little bit more toward the habit we're talking about today. We've been going through a series called Breaking Bad Habits. And we've been looking at a lot of different habits. If you missed any of these, you could go to our YouTube channel. They're all uh, archived there. You could go back and watch any of them. Uh, and I love this series because the, the way we change bad habits starts with the transformation of the mind, right? We've got to be transformed by the renewing of our minds because our minds control our actions. But over time, we, we have things that come into our mind, like we talked about lust last week and how we, if we look at things like that, it alters our mind and how we think. Well, the same thing is true on, on this subject we're talking about today of cynicism. Now, cynicism is closely tied to sarcasm. And I tend to lean a little bit that direction in my life. I tend to use sarcasm a lot uh, in my humor. It's more sarcastic type humor a lot of times. So I really have to battle with this because it's easy to go a little too far down this road and actually become cynical even when you don't mean to be cynical. Uh, I want to begin with an example of cynicism in the Bible. Uh, it's, it's in the New Testament. And it, and it involves Jesus and the reputation he's beginning to get as he goes around and starts recruiting his disciples. Now, in the passage we're going to look at, it's in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, if you want to turn there, John, chapter 1. Uh, Jesus has already recruited uh, Peter and Andrew. Uh, he's already called them to come and follow him. Uh, but now he's calling others. And the word's getting around that this teacher is recruiting his disciples. And so there are different opinions about whether or not he would be somebody worth following uh, as a disciple. Uh, so after he gets uh, Peter and Andrew, it says in verse 44 or 45, it says, Philip found Nathanael. Philip had already found Jesus. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now you have to understand this is huge. This is the biggest news in the history of the Jewish people that could have been shared. You see, their whole existence they've been looking for this promised Messiah. Their whole existence as a nation, as a people, was looking forward to this promise of this coming Messiah. And, and what he's saying, what, what Philip is saying to Nathaniel is, we found him. He's here now. All the searching, all the praying, all the longing, all the anticipation, it's now being fulfilled in this person that we've now found named Jesus. But he doesn't just say Jesus, right? He identifies him this way. Jesus of what? Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And you would think that even if there were some doubt, there would also be an excitement about this, right? 
Even if, even if he wasn't sure this was really the guy, you would think the anticipation and the hope would rise up that possibly this is the guy. But the response isn't like that. that, that that's not how he responds. Here, here's how he responds. <laughs> Nathaniel says, uh, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. He had already predetermined what about Nazareth? bad place nothing good's going to come from Nazareth uh, they had the town of Nazareth had a bad reputation at that point there's a lot of reasons for it you could go back and read more of the history but but the the thought in people's mind was this can't be the Messiah if he came from Nazareth there's no way he could come from there and what you're hearing there is cynicism that has developed in his mind Probably not just suddenly, but over time, the cynicism has developed to the point that he doesn't believe there's any possibility that something as good as this could come from the town of Nazareth. No way. But I love his response. Uh, I love the response that, that he came back with. Philip said, come and see. Be cynical all you want, but at least check it out. At least come see for yourself if this is possibly the Messiah. You see, cynicism has the potential of keeping us from some really good things. From hearing some good things, from, from experiencing some good things, from meeting some good people and, and, and having some good relationships with people that we write off because of our cynicism. Cynicism can rob us of a lot of joy, uh, of a lot of fulfillment, of a lot of the good that God wants to bless us with in our lives. And, and it can affect any of us and has some effect probably on all of us. I, I, I have this dictionary on my, on my laptop that, that I use to look up words a lot of times. I looked up cynicism and here's what this dictionary had for cynicism. Skepticism, doubt, distrust, mistrust, doubtfulness, suspicion, disbelief, unbelief, scoffing, pessimism, negative thinking, negativity, world weariness, disillusionment, disenchantment. Doesn't that sound like a fun life? And then it added the opposite is optimism. The opposite of cynicism is optimism. You see, you, you have a choice in life. And I love that God gives us this free will, which is a wonderful thing in so many ways because you can't experience real love without free will. So, so he gives us this free will and he allows us to choose how we're going to go through life. What's our attitude going to be as we go through life? No one is born a cynic. Do you realize that? Even with all the personality studies they've done, they've done Enneagrams or any of the other studies, Nobody is born just a pure pest, uh, cynic uh, with cynicism as the dominant trait of their lives. It's always potentially there, but nobody's born with that, that they're just born a cynic. This is something you learn. And what's a habit? Habits are learned, right? You learn a habit. 
So what a lot of us have allowed to happen over time is we've allowed our life experiences, our encounters with other people, right? Our encounters with circumstances that have happened in our lives. We've allowed all of those over time to make us cynical. We've developed this cynicism as a habit of our lives. And you may think, well, I'm, I'm not really cynical, but I'm sure all of us have a little bit of it. We all have this first reaction to things that is sometimes more cynical than you think it is. You hear something on the news, and by the way, the news contributes greatly to cynicism if you watch the news regularly. The overwhelming, and studies have shown this, the overwhelming majority of news stories are what? Negative. They're negative. So if you become a real news junkie, what are you taking into your mind more than anything else? Negative things over and over again. Now, some stations make an effort. You know, they do at the very end, sometimes of a newscast, newscast. Here's a little good news today after they've just bombarded you with story after story after story of the worst news possible. But here's a good thing, right? As if one little tidbit of good thing can offset all that negative that you just heard. You see, your mind doesn't work that way. What, what's your mind going to go toward? It's what you feed it the most. That's what's going to grow in your mind. So we're feeding our minds so much negative stuff. It's not just the news. It's all media, right? It's all media. And, and the added element today that we didn't have until recently is social media, right? That, that internet, online content that we're taking into our minds and our hearts on a regular basis. I mean, it's, it's the, the number of hours people spend on the internet today is higher than it's ever been. And they want it to be that way. That's the whole idea behind the companies with the platforms that have that stuff out there that you are watching and listening to. They want to get as many people as they can watching and listening and clicking and responding to what they're putting out there. You know why? They can make more money if they're getting more response. They can sell more ads. They can make a lot more money the more they can get you to click or respond or read and spend time on what they're putting out there. And you know what their studies have shown? They get more clicks and responses to negative things than positive things. By far. It's not even close. The number of responses they get to negative critical things compared to the response they get to the good things. Now, there's a few things that are kind of like the exceptions, like kittens, right? You know, kittens play. You know, the kitten videos get a lot of hits, right? They do. But other than some stuff like that, the overwhelming majority of stuff on there is negative and critical. And it doesn't matter what you consider to be positive or negative. They know that there's a group that considers this positive but there's a whole other group that considers it negative. And there's a whole other group out there that's just the opposite. So they play both sides. If you haven't seen it yet, I want to recommend that you watch this. Uh, uh, it's not exactly a documentary. I think it could be labeled a docudrama uh, called uh, The Social Dilemma. Netflix uh, put that out. I would really encourage you to watch The Social Dilemma because it does a great job of showing you exactly how these companies record and calculate every single view, every single click, every single comment, and they keep feeding you more of what you respond to. Now think about that for a moment. 
Let's say you lean more toward the conservative side. So there is this clickbait they put out there, something really negative about the liberals out there, right? So if you're really conservative, that looks like, hey, that's something I want to read. So you click on it. Well, guess what that tells them? We got a conservative here. Let's keep feeding them more of that. You see, people are so misinformed, they think everybody's seeing the same thing in their feeds. What you're seeing in your feed could be totally different than what I'm seeing in my feed, depending on what I've clicked on before, depending on what I have responded to before. You could be very liberal and something conservative comes on there and you have a negative response to that. Well, what are they going to feed you now if you're more to the liberal side? More of the liberals, more stuff that would reinforce what you just said you responded well to, okay? So your feed will become, over time, the more you click on those things and read those things, the more you're going to get fed those things in your feed. Whether it's Facebook or Instagram or anything, they're all doing it, okay? Facebook is now what, meta? They're trying to change it to meta? Whatever it is. They are designed to feed into your cynicism more and more and more. And then some people will post something and wonder, why didn't my friends respond to that? You know why? They didn't ever see it. Not everybody sees what you post on there, even if they're your friends. They don't see every post you make. It's all controlled. It's all an algorithm that's built into the system where they feed you what they want to feed you. And you don't even know it. You're just thinking, everybody's seeing this. Everybody's agreeing with me because that's the only feed you're getting. The whole world agrees with me. Look at all the people responding here, right? Well, you're only seeing that side of it. They're feeding you what you have responded to. And all the studies are showing that cynicism is growing and growing and growing in our culture. That attitude of cynicism is stronger today than they've ever measured it before. And we are allowing ourselves to become more and more cynical by allowing the media to fuel cynicism in us. Some of you have particular talk show radio people that you listen to, right? When you're in the car commuting and all that. Well, who are you going to listen to? The person that agrees with you the most, right? You agree with them. They agree with you. So what are you feeding yourself over and over again? Just that side. You're not hearing anybody else or any other emotions or any other struggles people are going through or any other challenges or any of the backstory behind why somebody did what they did. You're not hearing any of that. Just that side of the story. And it, and it warps our thinking into more of a cynical way of thinking. And we start making judgments about people and things and companies and circumstances that may be totally unfair judgments. I'm going to give you an example. It just happened to Lakeshore recently. Uh, Wednesday night, we have a youth program here. I'm so thankful for our youth sponsors and staff that work with our youth program. They do a great job. And they ordered pizza for the group. And... Uh, you know, ordered. I'm not going to say the company. It doesn't matter. They ordered pizza from a local company. The company didn't show up with the order. The delivery person didn't show up till an hour late. They said, well, you know, here's when the event starts. They ordered it way ahead of time. They had plenty of time to get it here. They didn't show up till an hour late with the order. Okay. Then the order was incorrect. It wasn't even what they ordered. $119 order. It's not even what they ordered. Totally different stuff. In addition to that, they paid by card online, 
And the person who made the delivery was supposed to bring a receipt for us because we don't do anything here at Lakeshore. We have financial accountability here. We have to turn in receipts for every charge we have. Didn't bring a receipt, right, for the order. And couldn't take a payment for a tip on a card and the person that got the order that was an hour late and wrong didn't have a way to tip them. But he got their name and called the the company the next day and left a tip for the person the next day. But before they could do that, this person had already done a Google review of Lakeshore Christian Church. One star, worst church ever, just like every other church, so stingy, and I'll never go to that church and I hope you don't either. That's how cynical people are, right? And some of you have done the same thing. You just jump to that right away. Why? Because you've been trained to think that way. Everybody's bad. Everybody's out to get you. Everybody's trying to cheat you, right? Nobody's good out there. All churches are evil. All pastors are greedy. You know, you just jump to all those conclusions, could be a race or an ethnicity that somehow your family or you got hurt by sometime. Well, you know, they're all like that, right? We jump to those cynical conclusions about people and companies and that political party's all evil. No, that one's all evil, depending on how, you know, what experiences you've had, right? We, we are all jumping to those conclusions and that's just cynicism and it's robbing us of joy and contentment happiness and peace in our lives and Satan loves it because he would love for Christians to look discontented and mad and cynical all the time because it hurts our cause and he knows it hurts our cause for Christ followers to go through life like that it really destroys our witness we're not set apart from anybody else. We're not different from anybody else if that's the way we're acting because that's the way the world's acting right now. Christians shouldn't be acting that way. Shouldn't be our attitude or our response to the world around us. If anybody has reason not to be cynical, who should it be? Christ followers. Of all the people in the world who should not be cynical, Christ followers should not be cynical people. You know why? Have you, have you gone to the end of the book? Have you realized how it all turns out? Do you understand who wins in the end? But do you understand that even though he wins and he's in ultimate control and authority all the time, do you realize that he still loves everybody in the meantime? Of all the people in the world who shouldn't be cynical, it should be us. So I want to give us four steps to take today to work on this problem so that we can get it back under control. We can reel it in. We can not allow the world to make us the cynical people that the world is sometimes making us. Okay. We, uh, if you learn a habit one way, what can you also do? You can learn to change it, right? You can take steps to, to be transformed, to be changed into something better. So here's some of the steps we need to take. First step, number one. Acknowledge that cynicism is sin. And that sounds harsh, you know, we can't call things sin. Oh, it's just a bad habit. Well, a bad habit can often be what? Sin. Cynicism is sin, friends. It is. It is a sinful way to go through life. Uh, there's a lot of examples in Scripture. I want to uh, clarify something. That which has made you cynical is not necessarily sin, Okay. 
You've been hurt by someone or something. That's not sin. The hurt that you feel, that's not sin. The disappointment that you've experienced, that's not sin. Uh, we've all been hurt. We've all been let down. We've all had somebody stab us in the back. We've all had some things like that happen in our lives. Understand this. You can't be a pastor for over 40 years like I've been without having some people not treat you well. And not be supportive and encouraging and not talk about you behind your back and not start false rumors and not be critical of you. You can't be in that role without that coming into your life. It's going to be there. You can choose how you respond to it. All right. But you can't control everybody else and what they do. So the hurt that you feel, the disappointment that you feel is not sinful. But what, what we all have to learn to do is, is take that hurt, that pain, that feeling of, of abandonment or that feeling of, uh, of being stabbed in the back. We've got to know where to go with that. Okay. Here's what I know about my role as a pastor. Jesus has never let me down even once. And that's true for your role, whatever your role is in the world, too. Jesus has been consistent. His love's been steadfast. He's never left me. He's never forsaken me. He hasn't done that to you either. He doesn't do that to anyone. That's where you take your hurt. That's where you take your struggle. That's where you take your, your feeling of betrayal. You take it to the one who will never hurt you, who will never walk away from you, who will never let you down in your life. You go to him with this. You see, your faith and trust should never have been in the person to start with other than the person of Jesus. That's where your trust needs to be. Your confidence needs to be is in him. I hear people criticizing churches all the time. The church let me down. The church didn't do this. The church didn't treat me right. The people at the church weren't, you know, this and that and the other. And, and let, me, let me remind you of this. Nobody was hurt more by the church than Jesus. But he loves the church and gave himself up for her. See, because it's not about the people. It's about Jesus. He's the head of the church. It's his bride. It's his body, the church. So acknowledge that cynicism is sinful. And here's why. There's a passage in Romans 14, verse 23, that a lot of people don't connect with cynicism, but I want you to hear it, okay? It's talking about whether Christians can eat certain foods or not. And there were some from a Jewish heritage, especially, that were saying, even after you become a Christian, even if you were not Jewish before, you need to adopt the Jewish dietary laws as a Christian. In order to be a good Christian, you have to eat according to the Jewish diet or you're not honoring God as a Christ follower. But there were those who weren't from a Jewish background and even some who were who said, no, we're under the new covenant now and you're not restricted by under the new covenant by the Jewish dietary laws anymore. Uh, it might still be a good option for you, but you don't have to be bound to it. Okay. So there were those two sides arguing with each other. And here's what he said in Romans 14, 23. Whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from what? Faith. And everything that does not come from faith is what? You know where cynicism comes from? It's not faith. It's not faith in God. God's got this. God's got it taken care of. God's got me covered. God's got the world covered. God's in control. That, that doesn't produce cynicism if you believe those things about God. 
If you have faith in God and God's promises and God's care, that doesn't produce cynicism. That produces confidence and joy and peace, not cynicism. So cynicism comes from a lack of faith and trust in God. You're all upset as if God's not really in control. You're all mad as if God can't help heal and restore. You're all giving up on the church or giving up on that relationship or giving up on this or that. When God could bring healing and restoration to it. If we let him. You see, it's a lack of faith in God when you let cynicism take control of your life. And anything that's not from faith is what? Sin. So let's start there. Let's admit, let's confess that our cynicism is a sinful thing. It's not better or worse than any other sin. It's just another sin. It's sin. And if it's a sin, how do we need to treat sin as a Christ follower? Christ followers treat sin as the enemy, not as a friend that we welcome into our lives. So that means we got to do battle against cynicism. We got to treat it like we do any other sin, trying to invade our lives and control our lives. We got to try to get it out. So the first step is you got to know it's a sin. The second step is this. Let's do a mind shift and let's start trying to believe the best about people. Start trying to believe the best about people. Now, here's how you know if you're not doing well with this. You hear some gossip or some rumor about somebody and immediately you assume it's got to be true. That's cynicism. When you just immediately jump to the thought, what a bad person, what an awful person. As if it's got to be true what you just heard about that person. Like Tom Brady's retiring, right? Uh, we don't know. <laughs> he hasn't announced that he's retiring. We don't know if he's a bad person yet or not. Okay, let's wait and see. But if your first response is, oh, yeah, what an awful, I, I, or, and sometimes, well, I knew it all along, right? Uh, never felt good about that person. Doesn't surprise me. Right? Is that your first thought? Then cynicism is controlling your life, your mind, your thoughts. That's exactly what cynicism does. You don't even give the, the person the, the, the doubt, the shadow of doubt that that might not be true. You can't do that unless you're cynical. You wouldn't go there unless you're already a cynical person. Proverbs 16, 28 says this. A perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. You know why gossip is so effective? Because of cynicism. That's what gives gossip its power. Its ability to, to do destructive work is cynicism. It's what gives it that power. People are more likely to believe the bad stuff so quickly than they are the good stuff. Or to even give somebody the shadow of doubt that this might not be true. The possibility that the gossip, the person sharing the gossip may have it wrong. May not know the whole story. May not know everything behind it. And we especially believe the bad stuff if we've already determined we didn't like that person or the party they belong to or the group they belong to ahead of that, right? So it's got to be true if it was a Republican or if it was a Democrat or whatever, right? Then it's got to be true about that person because that's the way they are. You see how cynicism just warps our thinking? Have you ever had somebody falsely 
spread gossip about you? You know how that hurts you? Why would you want to do that to anybody else? Why would you just jump to that right away? And just because somebody's a public figure doesn't give us the right to just attack them and assume the worst about everything that comes out about them. We've got to quit being so cynical. Here's what cynicism will do. It will cause us to not like someone when we don't even know them. We've spent no time with them. We don't know where their heart is. We don't, know, we don't know what their family life is like. We don't know what their history has been and how they grew up. We don't know anything about them. It may be that if you spent some time getting to know them, you might actually become a friend to them. But you won't give it a chance because of what? Cynicism. You've already prejudged them because of your cynicism. And you're not going to even give it a chance. That's why I want to go back to that passage we've gone to over and over again, Philippians 4, right? Verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, if it's admirable, if it's excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Don't go there with all the negative junk that people are throwing out there all the time. At least give people a chance before you condemn them right on the front end. Before you pronounce guilt on the front end, at least assume the best first. Let that be your first response. Think the best about the person first. Maybe when you find out more of the facts, more of the information, more of what happened there, you find out that maybe the media slanted that story a little bit. Whichever media you listen to, guess what? There's a little slant to it, no matter which one it is. Conservative and liberal and everything in between. There's always a slant to it. And the person spreading the gossip, you don't know why they're spreading it. Maybe they've got some vindictive reason to go after that person and try to get other people to think bad about them. You don't know. Why would you just accept what they're saying is it's got to be true? Start with giving people the opportunity to think best about them first. So, understand that cynicism is a sin. Secondly, try to believe the best about people. The third step is this. Practice forgiveness and compassion toward people. Instead of responding with cynicism, how about practicing forgiveness and showing compassion? Amazing the difference it would make in relationships. If our first response was compassionate instead of cynical. Can you imagine how that could change the conversation or even the opportunity to have a conversation? If our first response was compassionate instead of cynical. If instead of rushing to judgment, we, we said, you know, I don't know if that's true or not. I, I'd like to talk to them. I'd like to hear their side of the story. I want to hear what they have to say about that. And a lot of times we have no reason to think the worst about the person, but we've already done it because of the gossip. We're starting already now to think the worst about the person. And cynicism does that to you, and it, it cuts off and destroys relationships that could be good. Paul addressed what was going on in, among some Christians in Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 29. 
and how they were talking to each other and about each other, even as Christ followers. Here's what it says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for what? Building others up according to their needs and that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Well, how would you grieve the Holy Spirit? He tells us what we need to get rid of so we don't. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Malice means evil intent toward the person. Be instead kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. And then he adds the kicker, right? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Whoa, I was okay until he said I had to do it the way Christ forgave me, right? Does Christ have reason to think that I might sin again in my life? Yeah, based on my history and my life, he has reason to believe I might sin again. But you know what he still does? He still thinks the best about me. He still wants the best for me. He still wants to help me and encourage me and bless me even though he knows I'm naturally inclined toward sin in my life. And have I sinned before? Yeah, absolutely. And has he forgiven me? Absolutely. I've experienced the forgiveness and the grace of God. Has he been compassionate toward me? Absolutely, he has. Have other people been accusing me of things that maybe I was or wasn't doing? Has he always given me a chance? Yes, always. So how should I treat other people? The same way he's treating me. I should be kind and compassionate and encouraging and wanting what's best for them too. Because that's what God does for me in Christ. He's always giving me that opportunity, that chance. He's always offering that compassion. He's always offering that forgiveness. I love, you remember the story, how many times have I got to forgive somebody? They were trying to get a, a number, you know, to figure how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Seven, up to seven times. And he says, depending on the translation, 77 or 70 times, seven times, forgive your brother. The number is not important. The idea is stop putting a number on it altogether. There is no number. What if Jesus put a number on our forgiveness? How many of us are going to come out well? Right? Stop being so cynical. We say things like, well, I know that person. They're never going to change. How cynical can you be? It's a lack of faith when you say that. You're saying even God can't change that person. Of course God can change anybody that seeks change by the power of Christ. Anybody can be totally transformed. Anybody and everybody. Let's quit saying things like that and acting in that way. It's just sinful cynicism when we do that with people. So we've got to learn to know that it's a sin. We've got to try to believe the best about people more than jumping to the worst. We've got to start practicing forgiveness and compassion. Notice I said practicing because it's not going to come natural and easy. The world doesn't support this idea of being compassionate and forgiving. It doesn't support that very well. The culture doesn't support that very well. We live in, even more now in what they call the cancel culture, right? If you mess up one time, what do they want to do? 
cancel you. You're out now. You'll never have another chance. You're just written off forever now because you messed up. The cancel culture. And both sides are doing it. The liberals and the conservatives, everybody's getting caught up in it, right? This cancel culture. Instead of saying, well, that person failed and man, they could use some grace and some forgiveness and some mercy and a chance to get themselves turned around and back on the right track. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Getting rid of cynicism doesn't make you gullible to people who want to hurt you. That's not what we're talking about here. The Bible still teaches discernment. It still teaches even judgment. Did you realize that? The Bible teaches us to judge actions. But the judge, the standard for judgment is the word of God, not our own opinion about it, right? Your own opinion doesn't make it okay to say that's wrong or that's right. God's word is what is the standard of judgment. So we are within the church told to judge one another's actions based on the teachings of God's word. But the judgment is not to condemn. The judgment is to correct. There's a diff there are different kinds of judgment, right? There's the judgment that says, this is wrong. I want you to see that it's wrong, not so that you can be condemned, but so that you can be changed. So that you could be made new. So that you could be right before God. See, that's the right kind of judgment. And so I'm not saying that if we get rid of this cynicism that it means we're just going to gull be gullible and accept everything is okay and everything's fine. That's not what this is talking about. Listen, it's about, it's about showing people the same grace and mercy and forgiveness that God has shown us. That's what it's about. Which leads to the last thing. The fourth step is this. While we're trying to give people the benefit of the doubt, think the best about people, and while we're, while we're trying to show compassion and forgiveness toward people, then we need to take another step because cynicism can cause people to check out of life. It could cause people to not even try to get out there and do anything good when you get so cynical. So I believe the fourth step is really important, and that is that we start engaging in community by serving other people. Nothing gets rid of cynicism in my book more than really caring enough about people to serve them. Ephesians 2.10, remember that verse? We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Part of the reason we're here as Christ followers is to do good, is to help other people. It's, it's to make a good difference in the world while we're here by doing the good stuff God wants us to do. And sometimes we let cynicism cause us to quit trying to do the good stuff God put us here to do. Well, the church is not perfect, so I'm not serving in the church and I'm not going to give any more money. Well, when you find the perfect church to do that in, go there and do it. I got news for you. It's not going to be perfect after you get there. Some of you caught that right away. You see, churches are made up of flawed people. We're all flawed. We're all a little bit of, you know, we're all crackpots, but thankfully God can still use crackpots, right? So... 
I'm thankful for that. And so we need to extend that same grace and mercy to the church and to others in the church. So we need to be willing to serve others, even with their flaws, even with their imperfections, even with the failures in their lives, we still need to be willing to serve. There's a, there's a great passage in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 and following. It says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but doing this instead, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You can never fulfill your purpose for being on the earth by checking out and isolating yourself ever. Because you can't do the work of encouraging others that God wants you to be doing when you check out. When you just remove yourself from having to deal with people and circumstances that you don't like. You don't check out. You engage as a Christ follower by serving other people. 1 Peter 4.10, it says this, Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. God has given us all gifts, abilities, training, resources, experiences that can be used to serve other people. And he expects us to use those gifts to serve them. What about the people we don't like? Yeah. What about the people that don't agree with us all the time? Yeah. What about the, the people that we heard a rumor about? Yeah. We're still supposed to serve those people too. We use our gifts and abilities to serve others. You see, if we can get rid of the cynicism, get past that and start being the servants who are offering compassion and forgiveness the way we need to, then the reputation of Christ is elevated in the eyes of the world. I don't mean my personal reputation or yours. I mean the reputation of Christ. That's the reputation we need to be most concerned about. How are we representing him? What effect are we having on the reputation of Jesus Christ in the world? Do people think better about Jesus because of us or less favorably about Jesus because of us? You see, we're the ones that are representing him now. So his reputation falls on us. I love this poem. I want to close with it. It's attributed to Mother Teresa. She did not write it. I've done the historical research on it. It was written by somebody else. She did have it on her wall, though, in her room in Calcutta and the mission that she was serving in there. And so a lot of people just thought it was her writing or whatever, but it wasn't. Uh, it was written by a, a student, actually, at a university. But it's been altered a little bit and, and tweaked a little bit. But the sentiment of it truly was representative of Mother Teresa's approach to life. And I think that's why she had it on her wall. And it's called Anyway. So I just want you to listen as I read it to you. People are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind, people may accuse you of being selfish and having ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're successful, they will, you will win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you're honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give the world the best you have anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it's between you and your God. It was never between you and them anyway. Let's pray. Father, 
I know there are a lot of people hearing the message today who have hurts, scars. They've been betrayed. They've had friends stab them in the back. They've had a spouse walk away. They've had a business partner that cheated them and stole from them. They've had people spread false rumors about them. There's just, the list can go on. And in the flesh, the accumulation of all those things can cause us to develop this habit of being cynical people. But please remind us today, Father, that as Christ followers, none of those things should change anything about our perspective on life because our hope is in you and your son Jesus he's faithful he's true and nothing can separate us from your love in this world so help us to receive that love freely and to give it back out freely as well it's not ours it's yours but the world can experience it through us Father, please forgive us where we've been too cynical and allowed it to change how we treat people or think about them. Help make us new and help us create this new habit of loving and forgiving like you love and forgive us. If there's anyone, Father, who needs to take this step of letting go of their cynicism and embracing Jesus and his call on their lives, I pray today they would take that step and with your help they can overcome the cynicism that has grown in their hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.